Thank you everyone for making us a part of your day today. Today I'm with Dr. Gerald Schroeder. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he is a scientist with over 30 years of experience in researching and teaching. He earned his bachelor's, master's and doctorate all from MIT. Uh, he spent five years on the staff of the MIT physics department and then he moved to Israel where he joined the Weidman Institute of Science and then the Volcani Research Institute while also having a laboratory. Um, He's also very well embedded into theological training and biblical Talmudic and all kinds of fun stuff. I really hope I pronounced all that stuff correctly. How are you doing today, sir? Okay, you did pretty well on the pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Um, so obviously today we're going to talk a lot about like the Big Bang, does that support theism, things along those lines. But first, I wanted to ask you, um, I was looking at your work and I noticed that you were present when some atomic bombs went off. Is that correct? Yeah, my, my, my doctorate's in two fields, uh, two totally separate fields, but one of them happens to be nuclear physics. And we've been working, in, not totally, but in part with uh, nuclear weapons and atomic bombs. Yeah, they call them atomic bombs. They should be called nuclear bombs, but they're called. So what is that like being when a nuclear bomb detonates? What is that like? What is it like? I actually, in my first book, The Genesis of the Big Bang, I describe it. It's like uh, that first test. I only talk about the first test. Uh, underground, well, they're, it's the underground in theory, but they all break out the top because there's so much energy. What's it like? It's like experiencing energy, experience it. The mountain I was on in Nevada, the first test was in Nevada, Nevada test site. The entire mountain turned to jello. I'm not advertising jello, by the way. I'm just, <laughs> you know, it turned to like shaking like this. I mean, uh, we didn't know. We, I was up there. I had a technician with me, and we had uh, three radiation safety people, three rad safe people, because they had to be there, because I had to do my experiments, what's called the epicenter. If you got the mountain and the Bomb is down here somewhere that we called it. A, we called it the device. We never called it a bomb, and, and we're up here, but not right on top of it. We're a few miles in this direction, but the uh, the RadSafe people had to check to see if there was leakage from the explosion. Well, the bomb was so powerful the top broke off the entire front of the face of the mountain, fell away. We had no ac the whole access road was gone. And the Radsay people discovered that there was a cloud of radioactivity coming towards us. Wow. Into which they had and to which they had walked. And so now their Geiger counters were radioactive. So they were useless because the radioactivity had actually entered the machine. We had one clean Geiger counter. And if you call it one high tech, we put that Geiger counter, we found a lunch bag, a paper lunch bag. And we stuck the Geiger counter in that. So at least keep it clean, throw the bag away. And we, we literally had to drive off the back of the mountain in Hebrew, call it a wadi, a, a wadi or Arabic wadi, a, a dried riverbed. I mean, imagine how bouncing that was because the front of the mountain had fall, fallen away because we went to it, we didn't know it, but it was gone. So what's it like? That's what it's like. It's like uh, you're suddenly on a ship that's rocking, which isn't supposed to be rocking. And uh, well, thank God we got out of there. And uh, there were a few uh, less pleasant things about it, but in any event, that's it's it's power. It's like watching a tornado close. 
as opposed to a distance. You know, if you're really present. So, okay. Anyway, that's what it's like. Oh, that sounds like amazing to witness um, and terrifying at the same time. So, so we're going to talk about kind of like the Big Bang. Does it support some sort of like theism? So to just start off, could you just talk a little bit about what the Big Bang is when you refer to the Big Bang? Okay. Well, first of all, I'll preface that by saying the Big Bang relates to the creation of the universe. The Big Bang does not say what made the Big Bang a bang. It's only like it's using a simple word in place of the word creation. If you happen to be a skeptic or you, you know you think the world is all by chance, so the last thing you want to know, the last word you want to use is creation. It sounds like you're God forbid a creator. You say the Big Bang, okay? The creation of the universe. In my opinion, this, the proof, the discovery that there was, in fact, a creation to our universe is the God since Moses came down from Sinai. There's nothing. The universe had a beginning. Does it prove there's a beginner? It proves that we had a start from, from, from what appears to be nothing physical into something physical. Made a video a few years ago. There's now web-wide, there's close to 5 million views on it. No script whatsoever, zero, just on a lark. Some guys said, you want to make about this? And, and it's called Proof of God in Five Minutes. And some of the hijacked versions are called Belief in God in Five Minutes. And uh, it's all NASA data, totally based on, on, the, on the demonstration that, as NASA describes, the creation of the universe from nothing physical, quantum fluctuations, uh, laws of relativity, as NASA describes, it's a spot-on match to the biblical understanding of the creation of the universe. Namely, that the laws of nature can, in fact, create something physical from nothing physical. So the question remains, of course, the original laws of nature. In other words, if you want to say that the are eternal and you don't have to describe them you don't have to describe the origin then you can say well you don't need God or use the laws of nature but of course that's ridiculous because the whole basic question is the laws and the what allows this system to work right now and allows this to work in it is the laws of nature so uh, and those laws of nature that we know existing in our physical world today are able to create and that of the universe, and that was first put down, it was first published in the journal Nature, one of the two most important journals, science journals worldwide, by Ed Grant, and he gets no credit for it, but he showed how, how quantum physics, which is what allows all this high-tech stuff to work, uh, which only means it's the physics of the, of the atomic and the subatomic, the quantum, the quanta, uh, you can create a universe from, from nothing, but the laws of nature are so finely tuned that even skeptics say that it looks like the universe was coming. The Big Bang is the creation of the universe. The question is what starts the Big Bang, and that's what that five-minute that five-minute video is about, proof of God in five minutes. It just takes the first microseconds of the universe and discusses it from NASA terms, totally not National Space Authority, no, sir, no Bible. Less than twenty, less except for the last half a minute, which shows that the that NASA tells us what's the creation. 
a force or forces, not physical, predate the universe, create the universe from nothing. A force, not physical, outs predates time, predates how we understand time, and makes it hard to say predates. A force, not physical, predates time as we understand, therefore outside of time as we understand it, creates the universe from absolutely nothing physical. I don't, I don't, if you realize but that's the biblical definition of God, not physical, outside of time, predates and creates the universe. And uh, you can call that God if you want to. I, I certainly, I certainly, I do. I'm an Orthodox Jew, so uh, I, uh, well, anyway, that's, that's the creation of the universe. That's the Big Bang, the beginning of the universe. And that's how it begins with, 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 with totally understandable. And so you could say, well, why would God use the laws of nature to create the universe? But we just had celebrated Passover a few weeks ago. And Passover is one of the big events is this of, of this, we say the Red Sea, but the Hebrew word is the Sea of Reeds. And in Exodus, chapter 14, I think it's verse 21, says God used a strong east wind to open the sea. I mean, God doesn't need a wind to open the sea, but it's telling you that God uses, when nature's available, the God, at, least, at least the God of the Bible, I don't know about other gods, etc. The God of the Bible uses nature when nature's available. If you can create a universe using the laws of nature, which you have to create yourself, why not use them? So the idea of creating the universe via the laws of nature is totally within the parameters of the biblical God. Hmm. So I, I love your video. I watched your video. It's very good. If you guys want to watch this video, you can just put his name, Gerald Schroeder. I believe I pronounced that. Schroeder, is that correct for your last Schroeder. name? Yeah, yeah, cheesy Schroeder, yeah. Word. Schroeder. Okay. He used to be the, uh, he was the prime minister of Germany. Okay. <laughs> I don't even relate related. <laughs> hey, just say you are. No, that sounds pretty cool, you know. So, <laughs> uh, but you can put his name into the search engine in Google and go to his website and you can find this video. It's a very good video. Um, so, in this video, you talk about how the Big Bang proves the existence of God. Um, there's a lot of skeptics out there with that with question. Right. I never say it proves. It's just it's interesting that it matches exactly the Bible. I never. Although I, I beg you, you're correct. I say proof of God. You're right. Okay, pardon me. I'm defeated in my own argument. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think, um, you talked a little bit about this, but why do you think this is such solid evidence or, or solid proof for God? Well, it's, it's because science comes down with a description of the world and science comes down with a description of the creation of the world. And 3,000 years ago, came down with the description of the world and they both happened to match well that's kind of surprising to me so uh, and and science is still left with the question of the origin of the laws of nature which are perfect for producing a physical universe from nothing physical so the fact that science can describe how the universe can be it's a bit of a problem because there's no information about the origin of his laws of nature in the scientific description. So and that's the problem with Krauss's book, you know, a universe from nothing. It's embarrassing, but he gave, gave a lecture after the book came out and someone asked about the origin of the laws of nature. I said, oh, you nitpickers. There's always some nitpicker that wants nitpicking. The, the origin is the basic question. You know, why do you think? 
that's the basic existence. So I think you did a good job kind of overlaying what you believe here. Um, So now I want to ask you kind of like some objections we have either to like the big bang to the big bang proving God, you know, things along those lines. And the first thing I want to ask you about is that I think this is one of the most common objections I see among skeptical circles today. It lines up a little bit with what we've been talking about here, but there's this idea that there's no evidence for God. Um, They'll say there's no way we can test for the existence of God, no way to measure for the existence of God, something like that. So what, how would you respond to someone who says that there's no evidence whatsoever for the belief in God? Well, there's evidence for existence. You have to explain it away if you can explain. The evidence for existence of God is, again, when I say proof of God, I guess I should, well, it, it made the video popular, so I, that's the right term. But I, I would say the the evidence would be that 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 the the Bible makes certain predictions, and many of those predictions have come to pass. But many have come to pass. But but the the what you're question of why is there something? Forget forget people. Forget just anything. Why is there consciousness? I mean, the, probably the basic question today in in, in neurosciences is, is the origin of consciousness. How did matter, rocks and water? Give up to arise to people love. I mean, you realize that we hold by the fact that that atoms, ATO, can feel love because we're all made of atoms. You know, excitement, boredom. I mean, where does that where does it arrive? So it's looking for something. I would say that's outside the physical. I would say that, and that outside the it doesn't it doesn't prove that there's there's a God. I think the the most basic proof that there's a God. it's it's not it would sound prejudicial, but I can't help it. That's it. The God God makes the Bible makes certain predictions. The first of the Bible claims that the Bible is written by God. Okay, so that's that's the claim. So that's the product it's selling, selling a product called God. And uh it, ma- it makes certain predictions, and many of those predictions seem to have, have come to pass, which they don't seem to it doesn't make sense in a statistical point of view that many of these things many of these statements that are made in the text should come to be a reality. So I don't, this, obviously you can't measure with a microscope or with a telescope or whatever, you know, to, to see, that's not gonna happen. So all you can see is how the world works. Does it imply that there's something relative out there that we would call out there, non-physical that we would, we would expect to be a God. So, you know, look some of the predictions and see if they work. The, uh, I mean, uh, pardon me, I'll be prejudicial at the moment. The Bible claims that there will be a marker in this world. The marker will be the Jewish people. Not for better, clear, especially any Jew religionist, so don't even tell me. But, pardon me, I've got this this itchy on my shoulder. Uh, but the Torah, the Torah, the Torah makes the Bible, the Hebrew word for the Bible is Torah. The Bible makes a claim, makes a claim that a certain people will stand out in history for better or for worse. I mean, the idea, I want to get very clear, especially if the Jews watching this, this, this clear. The Torah nowhere says that we are better than other people, that Jews are better. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, Chapter 
32, verse 26 and 27, God says, point blank, if I had my way, I would destroy the Jewish people. Straight statement. This is right before the end of the five books of Moses. If I had my way, I would destroy the Jewish people. You're such a bunch of shlemiels. You're such a bunch of losers. But I can't do it because you are my marker in this world. And if I destroyed you, the nations would say, I don't exist. And they did it by themselves. So, so, and so you can see through history, this getting the, this, this, like, this relationship that seems to seem very strange, but, but the strangeness isn't that one group is better than the other. It's no clear, and that, and that God is the Bible, the God is the God of, and the God of the Bible is the God of all people. The prophet Amos says, I took Israel out of Egypt, the Philistines out of Kaftor, and Adam, 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 Aram out of Kir. The prophet Amos lists, lists three exoduses of equal value. We only know one because the other two people had disappeared. So it wasn't like there was only one exodus. The fact is that if the God of the Bible is the God of all people, but the God does make a claim that I have to, I'm a scientist. If I want to run an experiment, I have to have a control group, a marker. You know, it says that that uses the baseline, just like for all these tests that are looking for the for the for the cure of this of the virus. You have to have a control group against which you test and you don't test. The same as that. So the control group from the Bible is the Jews, and the Jews are going to. Uh, there's no question. I mean, it's crazy that they stand out. But I want to. No, you've kind of you Jewish person saying, "Oh, we are better." That has nothing to do with the Bible. That may be the the their their misorientation of the biblical understanding of the, of the Bible, but it's nothing to do with biblical, really. It's just their understanding. You run an experiment, you have to have a marker. Otherwise, you can't tell, you know, a control group, which you can, which you can compare. Does it make sense or doesn't it make sense? Say that's, that's, the, that's among the strongest proofs. The other is that the universe, even skeptics tell you that the universe looks like it was coming. It looks like we were coming. That it's made, and who who's that thing? The, I I don't I from what I've read of him, he's not a his name is Bernard Carr, a famous uh, astronomer from Britain. I have no what his affiliation with religion is whatsoever, but he says point blank, if you don't want God, you have to have multiple universes. In other words, the likelihood of getting life out of rocks and water is so slim that the only way you can explain it. If you don't want it to be designed, is to have a near infinite number of universes, not galaxies, in universes, each with different laws of nature, each trying its own way, and one of them is going to work. Obviously, we're the one that works. So that so um, if the, since there are no data that support that there are other universes, no strong data, it looks like we may be the only universe, and if we're the only universe, and that, and you can't get rocks in water be people sleeping through lectures, you know, in one roll of the cosmic dice. So those are the, those would be the proofs that I think stand up to the fact that there is a force in the world that interacts. In other words, that interacts, not just that there's a creation. When enter, the, the, in Britain, there's a famous, I apologize, I hadn't, I didn't know because I hadn't studied philosophy, but there's a really famous philosopher called Anthony Flew. He was the leading atheist philosopher for 50 years. And then he read a few books, book one, of, by, one by Roy Easy of Dallas, Texas, wonderful human being. 
And he changed it. He became, he became a, a believer in that there was a God that created the universe. But for him, it would be a, what you call a, what do you call when, when created the universe, rounded up, let it run. You know, a, uh, I can't think of the word, a deist. Oh, any of it. The question is, God, is there a God? There's two questions. God, and is that God interacting in the universe? That's the question. Is God active in the universe? I think God's in the active universe. How come? Because there's Zach. He's alive and thinking. That's a very good point. Uh, how would you respond to an atheist objection? Now, let's say you talk about how in the beginning with um, the Big Bang, you talk about the, how this force, this God that created the universe is kind of like outside of time. It's outside of space. It's immaterial. How would they say, how would you respond if someone said that it's impossible that an immaterial being or a being outside of time existed because it's immaterial. Everything that exists is made of matter. I'm made of matter. You're made of matter. Everyone, everything's made of matter. Well, because God is not within the universe. God is the creator of the universe. So so, and now we see that laws of nature allow the creation of something physical from non-physical. Hence, we have this quantum physics working to, uh, you know, the creation of the universe does not require something physical. So you can have a non-physical God that created the universe. Now, can something non-physical interact with the physical? So, so you think about this, that you, like, like, I don't have it in front of me, but supposing I had a magnet over here and a piece of steel over here. So you have to have the magnet as the source, but if a piece of iron over here, not steel, if I had an iron over here. So you can't, you put your hand in here, you don't feel anything, it's completely not material, but the magnet is somehow affecting the iron, you know, it's two meters away. Well, how can that be? There's nothing, you know, there's nothing in between it. Nothing in between the two. So we see that there are these forces in the world that it's completely not visible interact with the visible so with this case with the magnet you can see the origin of the you can see the origin of the force you know you can see the magnet is there but how that magnet propagates magnetism we can write the equations but that's not how that's how but now that's the how this it's not the how in the really deep way there's this totally immaterial force so we say there are photons photons going the same type of thing that carry the light from the sun. But photons aren't material. Photons are just energy. So now energy has a material. Yes, but you don't but you don't see them. So you have this. So there are forces that are not material that we see interacting in the world. So God would be a weak parallel to how this non-physical whatever creates the world, acts in the world. Non-physical. How would you respond to a skeptic or an atheist that would say it's possible that the universe just began without a cause? Uh, just kind of like it's a, the idea that it's possible that things can pop out of nothing and they believe the universe just popped out of nothing. There doesn't need to be a cause of this universe. I would say he's, he or she is completely correct. You can't prove it. It could. The universe could pop into being. So I'd have to then look at the universe itself and see with, again, we're saying if we look within the universe, and does it look like it's logical that by chance reactions, random reactions, can rocks and water become alive? Okay. Everyone does the same calculation statistically. 
including the skeptics, and everyone comes up that the likelihood of rocks and water becoming these, as we know it, is essentially zero. The number's like 10 to the minus 100. Those are the skeptics. The Wistar Conference of Libya must be 30 years ago already uh, showed this. And the only argument against it was that the statistics must be wrong. Well, time and again, this is, what we have is to look at the system and look at the likelihood that it could enhance. But statistics never says never. You know, but usually if something is like one, 10 to the minus 100th, it's never. But that's, those are the types of numbers that skeptics come up with, that skeptics come up with to tell us about the likelihood of, of life, of life from, not, not necessarily life like this, any kind of life, anything, anything. Fred Hoyle says it just absolutely perfect. Hoyle starts out his life, I don't know if he's still alive now, as an absolute skeptic. And then he discovered something amazing, that he was the person that showed the Big Bang when it produces energy, then the energy condenses into matter, the famous equals mc squared, that energy and matter, like ice and water are both, ice and steam both water. So, so energy is like the steam and ice is like the solid stuff, but it's all the same stuff. It's all energy condensed into, into matter. So for Hoyle was the person that showed how the energy the Big Bang could produce the atoms that make up the universe and make up life, because the Big Bang didn't produce those atoms. Energy and Big Bang produced energy. And then the energy condensed, thanks to Einstein's equals M into matter. And then in stars, in stars where the pressures are great, the heavier the other elements are fixed. So Fred Hoyle, who starts out his life as an absolute skeptic, discovers that to make carbon or the Hydrogen, the, in going up in elements, hydrogen, helium, lithium, barium, boron, carbon, uh, carbon's number six in the list of the periodic tables, means it has six protons, but some neut neutrons, obviously, also protons, but six protons, that's number six. The likelihood of getting carbon is almost zero, except for, you know, there's nothing stable. You know, you build up these elements like Lego blocks. Hydrogen into helium, helium, you know, but it's not quite that simple. Because you have, if you want to get beyond helium, you have to have some stable helium, which we have, which gets, in there. but there's nothing that leads into carbon. And yet carbon turns out to be the most abundant element in the universe that is split in the temperature range that water is liquid. Carbon's the jack of all trades. No carbon, no life. The next atom that can make anything like it is called silicon and Silicon Valley. But if we were made of silicon, you couldn't do this because it would fly apart. That's why silicon is so good for transistors. It gives up its electrons. So carbon turns out to be the most abundant element in the universe that is solid in the temperature is liquid. So bizarre is that. He writes, my background's MIT, Caltech. He wrote in the, in the like, the Caltech uh, what is the alumni value? Science and engineering, general science and engineering. Say to yourself, some super intellect has tinkered with the laws of nature. And he goes on and points out, this is a guy that starts out as a skeptic, but when he discovers that the jack of all trades of elements that can make life, because it's the only element that can make life, the only complexity of life, that the jack of all trades is the most abundant element it's solid when water is liquid. He says, there's no question. He's a word as a super intellect. 
has tinkered with the laws of nature. There are no blind forces in nature, which is, so that's, a, a, that was a proof to him that there was a force that designed the laws of nature. So different people, you know, different strokes are different folks. So he being a very well versed in the origin of the elements of the universe, saw the hand of God in that. So there are different arguments. You can't prove that God created the universe except by looking into the universe and see how it works. And that's why when Moses asked about God, what is God's the famous, I will be that which I will be. Not I am that I am in Exodus, I will be that. That's a completely wrong translation of the Hebrew. The Hebrew is I will be that which I will be. Which means if you want to know about God, look around the world. In other words, that's the only proof. Or is it so, nature? Go ahead. No. Okay. Um, so the next, I'm just kind of going through some of the common things I see through atheists, atheists or skeptics all throughout the world. It, the next objection is that we kind of, with the Big Bang, with the models, they kind of break down at the beginning. So, like, I'm trying to, I mean, I'm not a science, trained scientist like you are, so I'm probably, this is a layman talking about it. But basically, I heard this just a few weeks ago um, from someone I was talking to where, at, with these models of the Big Bang, they break down before the uh, beginning, whatever caused the universe to start to expand. So there's no way of knowing, even if there, there needs to be a beginning. So there's no need to really even believe in God at this point. There's no way of there's no way of using our physics as we know it to, to extrapolate back to the moment of creation, and there's no way with the best of telescopes or radio telescopes to get information from deep space that will tell us what it was like at the exact moment of creation, because the universe is opaque. Several, for what we we think scale-wise is several hundred thousand years out of billions of years, but it's opaque because the temperatures are so high that, that which is called a plasma, and so you can't get coherent information through a plasma. The sun is a plasma, that's why you can't see into the sun. You can see the surface of the sun, it's not a plasma. So, and I agree with them entirely that you can't see back to the beginning. All you can do, I would say, is to read, say again, is that you can look around the world and see if it works in a normal way. And the, and the, the, the let's say, the operating manual of the universe that claims it's the operating manual of the universe called the Bible tells you how it expects it to work and seems to work that way. It's the only way that the only way I can understand prove it. I don't think you can, you can get you can never prove bang 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 and he got a box. That's God. That's never going to happen. Or use the data that are available. Yeah. So, how would you respond? This is kind of the last of the um, atheist or skeptical objections we'll go through here today. Um, to the idea that there's some sort of like multiverse. There's multiple universes. I know you talked a little bit, little bit about this earlier where. Uh, with yeah. how our universe is so, it seems to be fine-tuned for us to exist right now. Um, so how would you respond to a skeptic or an atheist that would say that we're really just part of a multiverse and there's in really an infinite amount of universes that in existence? If there are an infinite amount of universes, you're still stuck with the problem. First of all, there are no data that that okay the data don't support that there may be the best scientific american the most widely read science journal worldwide totally not peer-reviewed so it, can, it has any spin that it wants and it's very it's a very materialist organization or orientation so that the only proof 
that there's a multiple universe. There are many universes. Remember, the, the listeners should understand, we're not talking about galaxies. We're talking about universes. Each one has its own set of laws of nature. It works its own way. We have you know, like gravity and they have googly-moggly, you know, things that we, we can't even imagine what they're like. There may be others like us as well. The only proof, Scientific American, the best proof that there are universes is that our universe is perfect for life. That argument that Scientific American came up a few years ago, that the best proof that there are other universes is that our universe is perfect for life, which they are essentially saying, if there are no other universes, it's a designer universe. Well, they are not going to say that because it's a very materialist or, or orientation there. And the orientation is that, and therefore there must, but the argument is crazy that our universe is perfect means there are other universes. I mean, doesn't mean anything of the sort. It means that our universe doesn't mean there are the uni- that there are the universes. But it is true. There might, could there be other universes? Yes. Are there any data? None of which I know support them. But that there are other universes. However, if there are multiple universes, you're still stuck with the question of why are there any universes? The famous question: Why is there something rather than nothing? Why anything? That's not a modern question. That goes back a century, more than a century, centuries. Why is there anything? Why does anything exist, let alone consciousness? So does there have to be existence? Well, to ask the question, there has to be existence. But is there, is there, uh, is there proof of there being a God? You can only see what I said. Look at the operating manual or the Bible, and see if the operating manual looks like the universe is operating according to the manual. To me, it seems that it seems that it is. So in this, yeah. So in this whole interview, we've been talking kind of a lot about like the Big Bang, um, why you, we believe or that it supports a, a theism, a belief in God. Um, so my next question for you is, why specifically are you an orthodox jew in your belief because there's a lot of theistic beliefs there's christianity there's islam um so why specifically are you an orthodox jew Uh, well first i was born from jewish parents because that's the worst that's not a very good reason but that's obviously the basic reason uh it wasn't always i mean i wasn't always orthodox uh i i started studying what happened what happened was it's kind of crazy what happened actually I had no interest i'm at mit i'm now in now um i'm uh it was i started doing this nuclear with the bombs itself between my master trying to get this space so i don't call exactly when this happened but in any event uh i so i, I the first of the, the events that's the only one that's the only one i ever talk about the first of the we call it an event not a bomb event sounds very neutral. It doesn't sound dangerous. So the first of the events happened right around the what we call the high holidays. The New Year and the Day of Atonement Kippur happened about a few weeks before that. And I came back to, I, I, I was at Tech at, at you know, so it was between my master's and my doctorate. And I came back to, uh, I was going for my doctorate at the time. And I came back to, to MIT Tech, to MIT. And I, uh, Mentioned, I don't know why, I, but I mentioned the Hillel rabbi that I just 
had seen this amazing event, really something. And he said, this is, that's great. Why don't you give a talk on your, on the Day of Atonement? You know, now, the, they need a lot of warm bodies because you have orthodox, conservative, libertarian, egalitarian, you know, and you got to have warm bodies giving talks and you got to give a few. So I was one of the warm bodies. Well, it was a good talk because you could have had a, you could have had a machine up there talk. I mean, to describe the first event and, and you know, so, and so they asked me the next year to give a talk. Well, then I couldn't talk about the bombing in August, so I had to start studying, you know, some kind of, not, not religion, just Jewish philosophy. And the talks became less and less interesting, but to me, they became, year after year, they became more significant. And by the, by the time the fifth year I was giving the talk, I was, I was already considered a semi-Orthodox Jew, you know, most of what Orthodox Jews do. So that's what led into it, just the idea of studying the philosophy. The philosophy was so deep, it was so, uh, so like, you know, deep that it just drew me, drew me in. So that's what, that's what led it. Uh, however, when I, when I started, when I started to first, what they call keeping kosher and eating certain, certain uh, foods, but the Torah in the book of literature says what, eat this, don't eat that, etc. The, uh, I, 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 I was at a, we had a big review for one of the, for one of the, uh, one of the projects I was working on. And that happened to do with some tracking of nuclear, it doesn't matter what we're tracking, nuclear sufferings, it doesn't matter, any of our game, this stuff. And we're having, of course, it's oceanography, so we're having with the top brass of the Navy, because it's MIT, they all got a lot of, you know, metal up there because all the big rigs come. And we had lunch. Well, needless to say, it's a, you know, oceanography, the first meal, the first appetizer was shrimp cocktail. Okay, wonderful, delicious, etc. But in those, I think we lost connection. Can you hear me, Dr. Schroeder? I cannot hear you at the moment. Awkward silence. Can you guys hear Dr. Schroeder in the chat? Just let me know, because right now I've lost him. Yeah, so, and he is gone. Just like that. Um, well, I don't really know what happened there. Uh, his, I think from my, my experience, the connection with Spotty um, this time. Hey, <laughs> your brother Christ says it is the rapture. Maybe he's right. And we were all just fake believers, except for Nate, because Nate's not responding. Um, so, okay, guys. Well, I think this is going to be end because that was kind of the end of where our interview was. Um, and that's it, guys. I appreciate you being here today with us, with it here in Apologetics. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been supporting this ministry. Um, it's kind of funny because we were going to we're scheduled to end at 315 Eastern Standard Time, and it's basically 315 Eastern Standard Time. Um, 
So while Nate's been raptured, I should say thank you to everyone who supported us. If you're interested in supporting this ministry, you can do so at patreon.com slash adhering apologetics. Every dollar helps as we're trying to get the part-time funding. But that's it for today, guys. Uh, next interview. Well, the next time I'll be live, I'll probably do a Q&A Tuesday night with Carl and maybe John Dunphy. And then we'll see what's in store. Debate coming up on Thursday on this channel. Annihilationism. We got all kinds of fun stuff. So that's it for now. I will see you guys next time.